bet you didn't think in a 90-second clip this morning you hear from Led Zeppelin, Malcolm Forbes, J.R.R. Tolkien, and Jesus of Nazareth. At least it's a little random to start. In case you're not familiar with that movie clip, it was from The Hobbit, The Desolation of Smog. Smog is a goal-loving dragon, and Bilbo is the hobbit who's trying to steal some of the dragon's treasure to appease a goal-sick dwarf king who's not in the scene named Thorin. Now, if you're a Tolkien fan, you are strongly objecting probably. You're saying, boy, that was a pitiful rendition of what's going on. But I cannot possibly explain the complexity of the plot involved totally. But regardless, I showed you that scary clip as just a simple visual reminder of the evil associated with the love of money and possessions. 1 Timothy 6.10, Paul says this, For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, not the money itself, but the love of it. Some people, Paul says, eager for money, have already, early in the first century, have left the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, I've got a really cheesy little saying for you that may help you remember that video clip in relation to the biblical truth I'm trying to communicate. And it goes like this. Now, I've got to warn you, it's cheesy. There's a dragon in the gold. And if you're not careful, he can steal your soul. How's that for cheesy? There's a dragon in the gold. And if you're not careful, he can steal your soul. So with that cheesy expression of truth in mind, let's join Jesus again on the hillside outside Capernaum for his thoughts on the topic of money, possessions, and eternity. Matthew chapter 6. We're dropping in again on Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking now briefly about money, possessions, and eternity. Beginning in verse 19 of chapter 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. Back in the first century, uh, part of the ways you measured a person's wealth, uh, they would have luxurious garments that were made usually in the Far East and cost a whole lot of money. So that was one of the expressions of wealth. And obviously moths could destroy those precious garments. So that's what he's talking about. Uh, Thieves breaking in and stealing is the next thing he's going to say. Moss and rust destroy. And rust would have to do with the corrosion of precious metals and things like that. And then thieves breaking in and stealing. Literally, the Greek word for break in means to dig through. Most of the homes were made out of some form of dirt blocks or something like that. So he's talking about thieves digging through the walls, the dirt walls of a home. Or literally, you'd store your treasures oftentimes. You'd bury them in a field or in the bottom of your home, a dirt floor. And so thieves would dig up treasures, what he's saying. That was at risk. Your assets were at risk if you stored them in your home or in your field. But store up for yourselves, one of his most famous phrases is treasures in heaven. Where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves can't break in and steal your stuff. And then he adds another corollary truth that's very, very important to his teaching here. He says, oh, by the way, Jim, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. There your mind goes. There your thoughts go. There your emotions go. There your affections go. There your time goes. You tend to be consumed with where your treasure is. And then he adds a couple of verses that appear not to have anything to do with this, but I had to read a lot of commentaries on this, but everyone agrees 
he starts talking about the eye as the lamp of the body. And he said, if your eye is good, literally the word for good here means generous. It's one of the words, the Greek word for good. As opposed to bad being non-generous. And he think of your eye as a lens or a worldview or a grid by which you process things that are happening around you. And these things either produce inside of you and me light which illuminates my soul and my mind and makes me think rightly, makes me speak rightly, makes me act rightly, makes me use my possessions wisely, or these things I take in through the grid of my own eye, through my worldview, cause me to think poorly, to do bad deeds, to use my possessions unwisely. That's what he's saying here. If your eyes are bad... Your whole body will be full of darkness. He's talking about spiritual darkness, and particularly to put it in 21st century terms, he's talking about the darkness of materialism, which permeates 21st century American culture. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness, the darkness of materialism that can consume your soul? And then he goes to another illustration, one we don't, understand as well because we're not slaves and we don't have masters but this is not an employment illustration this is literally talking about slavery he said no one can serve two masters and what he said either God is your master Lord Adonai or your stuff is your master he said either you will hate the one and love the other be devoted to one and despise the other you cannot serve both God and money and money's not really the most accurate translation of the Greek words it literally means possessions or stuff material wealth holdings properties riches whatever those are whatever century and culture you live in okay i'm going to let scripture interpret scripture just for a minute before i start to comment on the text Turn with me to an even scarier teaching of Jesus on the topic. There's a lot of teachings of Jesus and a lot of other folks on this topic of money, possessions, and eternity, but here's one that'll scare you a little. It's Luke 12, verse 16. We'll bring a little more balance to this in just a moment, but let's go to the extreme just for a minute. Two guys, or excuse me, one guy comes up to Jesus and he's mad at his brother. And I don't fully understand the way inheritances and estates and all that jazz worked back in that day and time, but regardless... He was arguing with his brother about money and the family riches, and he's asking Jesus to arbitrate the dispute. Apparently, that was a common thing to ask a Jewish rabbi to do, and Jesus says, basically, no way, I'm not getting involved in this. And he uses it, this opportunity to talk about money, possessions, and eternity again, and he says this, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He's going to tell a story. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. I challenge you to start in verse 17, go through about verse 20, and just circle I, my, and myself and see how many times it's in here. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns build bigger barns, and then I will store all my grain and my goods. I don't know why, but I didn't do this last hour, but I'm going to give you a little something that's coming to my mind from C.S. Lewis. I think it's from uh, Screwtape Letters. Screwtape Letters, remember, is one demon writing to a higher-ranking demon, and and they're talking about the end of time. And and they say, he's talking about human beings. He said, don't these poor, silly beings know that in the end of time our father referring to the devil 
and the enemy referring to God will someday, he said they use the word mind like it really means something. Like they, have, they really can own anything. He said someday, God and the devil are going to say, mine. It's a scary thought. About every word Jim spoke, every thought I thought, every relationship I had, every resource I used. Keep that in mind as you go through this. My grain, my goods, and I'll say to myself, self, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God says to this man, this rich man, you're a fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? Same thought as in the Sermon on the Mount. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up on earth for himself stuff, but is not rich toward God in other places and toward people. Let's add a little balance to the teaching. Proverbs 6, 6 and 8. Let me say what Jesus is not saying if you look at all of his teachings. He's not glorifying poverty. He's not saying don't save anything or don't enjoy the possessions that a good God has given you. That's the whole book of Ecclesiastes to some degree. Let's look at some other Bible passages to bring some balance to this and let Scripture interpret Scripture. Proverbs 6, 6 and 8. The writer of Proverbs says this, go to the ant if you're lazy. If you're having a problem with a work ethic and you're sluggardly, look at the ant. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer, no ruler, yet ants store their provisions in summer and gather food at harvest. Clearly, what's being touted here is hard work and saving. So there's got to be a balance to it, I understand. But this is all about what's going to control my mind and my thoughts. What am I going to be obsessed with what Jesus is talking about? Another passage has a lot of balance to it, speaking to rich people, not telling them necessarily to sell all they had, although Jesus did that on occasions. It's 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19. Paul says this. He's talking to his young preacher friend, Timothy. He says, Timothy, command those who are rich, And in this context, rich means rich, but it also means something else. If you take all of the teachings of Scripture about the warnings against wealth and how it can consume you and the love of money, rich also means this. Command those who are in danger of being poisoned by their stuff. (laughs) Most of the world today would say that most of the people in this room, certainly me included, are incredibly wealthy. You don't think of yourself that way because you're an American. But we live in the wealthiest nation that's ever existed in the history of civilization. We have an incredible access to a whole lot of stuff. And we're in danger of being poisoned by our stuff. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Again, the Bible is saying it's okay within reason to enjoy some of the fruits of your labor. Command them to do good. And here's the key to all of this, how we're to use our resources. To be rich in good deeds, that's what you were created for, by the way. And to be generous, commanded over and over in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And be willing to share in this way, same teaching as Jesus, you will be laying up for yourselves treasures in heaven, treasures in another age, a firm foundation in the coming age. 
so that you may take hold of life that is truly life. And he's not just talking about eternal life. He's talking about life in the here and now because you'll have a right perspective on money, possessions, and eternity. And you'll be more deeply connected with the God that created you because you're using your resources to bless his people in the way he wants you to. That's letting scripture interpret scripture to some degree. There's a whole lot more, but I don't have time to cover all the teachings of Jesus on this. There's a lot. I want to start even now with some application questions to think about as we continue the talk. Four questions. Just a little self-analysis. What occupies your thoughts when you're alone and you have time to think? What are you consumed about? And I know it may change from day to day, but generally speaking, what do you worry the most about? What are you anxious about? What do you measure people by? Material possessions, athletic ability, good looks, clothing, spirituality. What do you measure people by? What would you not be happy without? The greatest treasure, I would assert, and David would agree, that we have on earth or heaven is our relationship with God. The most wonderful, the most powerful, the most beautiful, the most loving, and the most created being in the universe desires a deep relationship with you. That's a profound thought. That's our ultimate treasure. And when we use our kingdom resources for his purposes, our resources for his kingdom purposes, we're just deepening that relationship. God may or may not be calling you to give up some of your stuff. He may be, he may not be, but I know one thing for sure. He's calling all of us to hold things loosely. We're just entrusted with it for a few short days, weeks, months, or years. That's it. He's definitely calling me this morning and you this morning to give generously and use what we have for his kingdom purposes. More on that in a minute. He doesn't want us to be preoccupied with money and stuff. Rather, if you have a bent toward obsessiveness, I do. Obsess on this. Loving God and loving people. That's what Jesus was obsessed with. Now I'm going to go metaphor. Some of you have heard me do this before. Jesus often used metaphor and allegory to explain important spiritual truths. Today's topic, again, was one of his favorite topics, money, possessions, and eternity, and our accountability for actions and rewards in the afterlife. One of the phrases he liked to use, again, to convince his followers that someday they would be rewarded for their faithful stewardship of resources was the concept of treasures in heaven. So for the rest of the time this morning, I want you to think about God. Just indulge me and go with me for a few minutes as extremely wealthy. That's not too far-fetched. He is the creator and the owner of the entire universe. He does have a monopoly on all the assets in the universe. I'd say he's fairly wealthy. Now let me create for you, just for this morning, an expanded biblical metaphor that hopefully will help communicate the principles of this text to 21st century Americans, what Jesus was trying to say to those first century Jews. Go with me. Just because he wants to, God has loaned you and I some of his assets. I call his assets time, talent, possessions, and influence. Primarily the talk this morning is about one of those possessions. But he has. He's loaned us all those to use as we see fit 
for a few years that we get to ride this spinning globe around. Strangely enough, this wealthy owner's desire is that we willingly reinvest those assets that he's loaned us in his business, but we have the option to or not to. Now, he's promised us a massive, long-term return on our investment of his resources in his business. If you choose to invest these loaned assets, you'll be required to defer gain. That's hard for most Americans. Dividends, though, are guaranteed, but not immediately. Sometimes they come quicker, but most of the time they're deferred. In order to invest, you have to trust management with your resources. Speaking in owner's terms, he calls that faith. And he has promised great rewards. He's not real specific about it, but he's promised great rewards someday to those that invest in faith. God's got a name for his company. He calls it simply the kingdom of God. His mission statement, he has a mission statement. It goes like this, to reconcile people to himself, to tear down his enemy's work, and to rebuild, redeem, and restore his fallen creation, as well as making his name, his ways, and his values known to all the peoples on planet earth. He's got some, he's into core values too. Everybody's into core values right now. Here's some of God's core values. Love, forgiveness, reconciliation, redemption, self-discipline, self-sacrifice, joy, peace, productive work, healing and restoration. He loves variety, by the way. And his greatest passion is that someday at the final accounting, and oh, by the way, there will be one. He makes that very clear over and over and over. I don't fully understand exactly what it's going to look like, but I live with that awareness, and you should too. There will be a final accounting. And when the window of opportunity to invest is forever shut, scary thought, his heart's desire is that millions of people from every tribe, every tongue, and every nation, and by the way, side note, God is really into, at least in his family, radical racial diversity. You may not like that term, but God does. He's really into radical racial diversity in his family. That people from every tribe, tongue, and nation will stand before him in heartfelt worship of him and in communion with each other. That's his ultimate passion. Application again. Question. Will you invest? How much will you invest of your time, your talent, your possessions, and your influence? That all depends, doesn't it, on how much you're buying into this story and how much you buy into it throughout your life. To God, the gauge of your faith is very practical. What do you, did you do, Jim? What are you doing now with the resources I've entrusted to you of time, talent, possessions, and influence? Randy Alcorn wrote a little book. Most of you have read it. We used to give it away when the church is smaller. Now we don't have enough money to give everybody a copy. So there are five bucks outside on a table. I beg you to get one if you've never read it. And 
feel free, if you don't have five bucks not to pay, write a note that says Lee or Jim will pay, stick it in the box and one of us will pay, okay? I'm serious. Take one of these books. If you don't have the money, take one. You can pay later. There's, you can take cash, checks, or kiosks when it's working, but uh, just give it a whirl. But they're out there. Take one with you, please. Money, Possessions, and Eternity by Randy Alcorn. I'll share with you six treasure principles from the book. These are all biblical. Principle number one, God owns everything, and you're one of his managers. I've already shared it with you. Psalm 24.1 says this, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Principle number two, God blesses both now and later generously those who give generously. That is all over the Old and the New Testament. One verse is 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7. If you want to check it out later, 2 Corinthians 9, 6, and 7. Principle number two, God blesses generously those who give generously. Principle number three, your heart, meaning your mind, your emotions, your will, your thoughts, your passions, your purposes, they always flow toward where you invest God's resources. That's the passage we just read in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 6, 19 through 21, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also according to Jesus. Principle number four, heaven, not earth, is your home. More on that in a minute. Philippians 3, 20 tells us that we're citizens of heaven. I love this thought. Max Licato and John Eldridge express it. We're on the planet carrying a spiritual green card. We're aliens from another place. But we're here for a time and we have the right to work and earn spiritual rewards. But we're here carrying a spiritual green card. Principle number five. The discipline of giving is the best antidote to the disease of materialism. By the way, we've all got it. We've all been seduced to some degree, if you're into Greek mythology, by the siren song of materialism. 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19 that I just read. The antidote is generosity and sharing. Principle number six, God blesses us so that we might bless others. God wants you to model his ethos. He poured out his blessings. We get to breathe his air, eat his food, live on his planet. He sent his son to die for you and to redeem you. God's a giver. He wants you to be a giver to model the ethos of heaven and his ethos. 2 Corinthians 9 and 11 says this, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. That's a simple little thought. Now let me share with you what I would call a practical theology of giving. If you want a more detailed version into this, most of you have already been exposed to it in discovery. It's lesson five. I'm going to give you six action points. You can just say this is Jim if you want to, but I think it's biblical. It's just a suggested practical theology of giving. Number one, and by the way, this is a 21st century application of ancient principles. The people that are members of New Heights Church participating in this multifaceted, and oh my goodness, more on that in a minute, multifaceted local church doing ministry here and abroad. Number one, Get your head and your heart right first. Embrace the truths that I've been sharing with you from Scripture, what I would call the treasure principles, that God owns everything, that you've been entrusted with some of his stuff to invest in his kingdom causes. Have faith that he'll reward you for, for the faithful use of his resources. Embrace the treasure principles. That's number one. Number two, work hard. 
Paul modeled it and commanded it to all the churches. Work hard to earn a living that you'll have to share with those in need and support your family. A strong work ethic is a good thing. We were created as gardeners to work. Work is not part of the curse, by the way. Number three, live a modest lifestyle and use your stuff to do good. I can't tell you, I can't even point to scripture and tell you exactly what standard of living you should have. I know this, I'm not supposed to judge you for your standard of living. You're another man's servant. (laughs) You're not mine. And you're not supposed to judge me. So I'm not telling you to look around and tell everybody else how to live, okay? But here is a backdrop of something I have to wrestle with, and you should too if I do. God came to earth, and he chose a certain lifestyle. And the administration of Jesus' estate at the foot of the cross took one roll of the dice. Because all he had was the clothes that they'd stripped from him. They were dividing up. Now, I got to factor that into my, I know there's Abraham and I know the wealthy people and I understand all that. And a lot of Jesus' friends were wealthy. Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were wealthy. Joseph of Arimathea was wealthy. I understand all that. And I'm not trying to judge anybody or have you judge me. But just keep all that in mind. Consider living a modest lifestyle and using your stuff, however much you got, to just do good with it. Number four, give the first 10% of your income to your local church, New Heights Church, general fund if you go here. Tithing first fruits has been a best practice of Christians for centuries. It's still a great practice. God will still honor it. Number five, give as the Lord directs to missionaries and other Christian causes. Number six, generously give to those in need around you as the Lord directs. Let me move toward closing. I'm not getting here yet, but I'm moving that way by starting to summarize and make some other application points. God is very interested in kingdom building, and he is looking for investors. I know I'm getting repetitive, but for the time being, his kingdom on earth resides primarily in the hearts and minds of people. He allows us temporary use of some of his resources. When we invest them in his kingdom, he promises treasures in heaven, and he doesn't give us a lot of specifics about that. He has told us in other places we'll stand before him someday and give an account of how we use his resources. That's what I've been sharing with you. Now, I want to unashamedly invite you to invest yourself and some of your resources at this, your local church. And I'm going to do that by sharing with you again some of the things this body does that we do with your resources when you loan them to us. Here's a, just a sampling, that's all this is, of some of the things that New Heights does. Number one, we train up children. I know this is basic, in the ways of God. All told, well over 500 different children and teenagers that attend New Heights Church are one of our small groups in any given month. That does not include the 150 to 200 children and teens that Potter's House ministers to in any given month. That's a lot of folks just in your local community. Number two, we teach the word of God like I'm doing this morning 
And we make disciples in all kinds of ways, in large group and small group venues, locally, and in 19 other nations where this church has a presence. Let me get specific, give you a specific example. I think this one of the primary callings on this church is to mentor and release college students that go out all over the United States and the world. We have in any given year over 100, 100 to 150 high school and college students that would go through one of our, I've identified five different internship programs here at New Heights. When I walked in the front door this morning, I ran into one of those interns. So I'll use him as an example. It's Jack McFessel. We talked about him this week on a retreat. And I'm not trying to sway you up, Jack, if you're in here. But Jack went last year after his freshman year of college and did an incredible job serving as an intern at one of our sister churches we're trying to help in Boulder, Colorado. Did an incredible job. Came back here, brought some of the things that he'd done, and he's doing it now at New Heights. This summer, he's going to go with another one of our internship programs. He'll go with Linda to Cambodia and be involved in our GTS program. That's two of our internship programs. Right now, in this church this morning, there are 25 college interns serving in various capacities, being mentored by Kevin Rusak and others. If you want to be involved in any of those internships programs and you're a college student, go to that back table. that have got a sign-up list right now for a summer internship program that stays here in Prayettville. There's spiritual formation classes, really cool stuff you get to be exposed to. They just went on a retreat this past weekend. Our Holy Spirit fell. It was a powerful, anointed time. But that's just some of the specifics diving into a little microcosm. Number three, building up the kingdom of God and tearing down the devil's kingdom by helping plant healthy churches both here and abroad. Let me go international first. Like the, in Albania where the Verchanis have a church, Elbasan Providence there, would, they have about 150 to 200 in attendance in a primarily Muslim country. And they're about to plant another church. Or the network of churches. I think there's well over 100 in Russia that Randy Laney, one of our members, has supported for years through Pastor Vitalik, who some of you have met, that we now resource and help support and been involved in. Those are some of the things we're involved in. Um, right now, staying with me this weekend, we were at a pastor's retreat together. Lee was at and others. Uh, is, is J.D. Partain, who's here from Missoula, Montana. We're going to resource and work with him. That's some of the places your money is going and being used. Number four, tearing down spiritual and physical strongholds of poverty in Fayetteville, Northwest Arkansas, and the world by providing education, tutoring, mentoring, and literally jobs that bring meaning and purpose to people who are often living without hope locally through Potter's House and Potter's House thrift stores here in Siloam. Let me go international for an example. Do you know that we have folks doing international community development in places like India, Central and Southeast Asia, Africa, Central and South America, Europe, and the Mideast. Quick story if you want a story. Pull up that picture of David and Lindsay Owens. About an hour outside of Guatemala City is a little village called El Rosario in the mountains of Guatemala. A very poor village with no jobs. They went there to do holistic ministry. They mentor and disciple Lots of different folks, but some of the folks they mentor and disciple, let's pull up that next picture, are these three gals, Lydia, Florinda, and Brenda. And they don't just mentor and disciple them. We provide them full-time jobs with one of our many business missions. This happens to be one my wife runs, a fishing lure business. Three families 
Two of them, I believe, are single moms. One's married. Are being provided for through income through this church. Also in that village is another business mission called Person Clutch. Five working moms are being mentored, discipled, and have full-time jobs through them. That's eight jobs just in that. In the northern India, an organization, a missionary, which we sent out originally, Dave and Mel Murray, a couple hundred jobs. On and on and on and goes. That's where some of your resources are being used. Number five, proclaiming the goodness of our great God by promoting a culture of prayer and worship from northwest Arkansas to the ends of the earth through ministries like the Fayetteville Prayer Room. Folks, that didn't just happen. It doesn't just happen every month. We pay rent on that building. We pay utilities on that building. We pay two full-time employees to run that prayer room, and many of you volunteer there. That's all done through the giving that you give to this church, and 100 to 200 local churches use that prayer room in any given year, and our name's not even on it. Number six, setting free captives to depression, materialism, drug and alcohol addiction, sexual addiction, financial bondage, and other forms of oppression through organizations like the Joshua Center. Not very many people know that the Joshua Center is an arm of New Heights Church. And I know I'm bragging, but it just happens to be the largest counseling organization in the state of Arkansas. And not only that, did you know that you can go there because you're associated with this church and we'll pay for your counseling at least the first four or five visits more if you need to and we can work it out. And don't be ashamed. I've been there for counseling. Most of the staff's been there for counseling. Let me give you another, Celebrate Recovery. That meets here on Sunday night. That's another ministry of New Heights Church that we resource and support and pay a full-time salary for someone to run. Free to 5-1 is in the back. Chris Haas is back there at the table. Most of the staff, including me, probably all of us, have been to Chris for financial counseling. We'll subsidize your counseling if you need it. Cost a couple of hundred dollars. We'll pay a hundred of it more if you need it, if you're a member of this church. That's another place some of your resources go. So that's just a little sampling of some of the ways that your resources are being used at this local church. I invite you to invest. If you already are, I want to say thank you, but God can thank you himself someday. At this point in the talk, I usually give no trailer hitch on a hearse quote. I won't do that. Uh, I've picked out a couple more. Here's one by Job. Naked I came into this world, and naked I shall depart. I was really digging, and I found an ancient Spanish proverb. There are no pockets on a burial shroud. How's that one? But I'm not going to end that way. That's a little too morbid. Seriously, I've got a quote for you. Just sit back and enjoy this one, and I'll be done. It's from 1929. It's by a famous British preacher named G. Campbell Morgan. He says this. It goes to identity. You're to remember with a passion burning within you that you are not the child of today. You're not of this earth. You're more than dust. No matter what the liar says or the culture says, you're more than dust. You're of eternity. If you're a child of God, you're the offspring of deity. The measurement of your life cannot be circumscribed by the point where blue sky kisses green earth. 
all of your life cannot be encompassed even in this one small sphere from which you now live. You belong to the infinite and to infinity. If you make your fortune on earth, you're a poor, silly soul. You have stored in a place where you can't possibly hold on to it. Make your fortune, but store it where it will greet you in the dawning of a new morning. That's who you are, and that's what Jesus wants to communicate to you this morning. Let's stand and engage our great God in worship. Prayer team, come on up. Communion's available around the room. We take it each week to remember his sacrificial death until he returns. This is also a strange time. It's a time for you to do ministry. If you've got a word for someone else, if you want to pray for a total stranger, we do weird things like that around here. Someone did that to me last hour and gave me a word. I've got it in my pocket. and shared with me a prophetic message. You can do that. We take this stuff seriously. If you want to be prayed for by anyone, go get prayed for. And so I invite you to minister to one another, to take communion. There's a baptistry up here. All that Christians have done for 2,000 years is available in this gym in Fayetteville, Arkansas right now. Lee's here if you want him to baptize you, if you want me to. If you want to be baptized, you've never been baptized, come on up. We'll do it right now after the service. But right now, let's engage God.